understanding this truth. So what is grace? I think sometimes in church and and in general, we can get the terms of grace and mercy mixed up. And you see, the simplest way to define them is like this. Grace is getting something you don't deserve or a gift, and mercy is not getting something that you do deserve, so a reprieve. And there's been two key scriptures that have helped me on my journey and helped me understand how grace and mercy play out in our lives. The first one I want to look at this morning is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And it says, In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. That's a pretty cool encouragement, church. Uh, When we consider the definition of mercy, this verse really unlocks things even further. You see, essentially, we are getting forgiveness in place of judgment, which is what we deserve. I know that sounds harsh, and I wrestled with that for a long time. You know, God, I'm a decent person. Sure, I've I've had too much to drink a couple of times and I've, I've sworn or I've, I've done this, but I, I've not done anything really bad. And that was my standard line of reasoning with God on this stuff in the early days of my Christian walk. I couldn't always reconcile that my actions, whether small or if I thought they were inconsequential, I couldn't reconcile that they created a wedge in my heart between God and myself. Have you ever noticed that? in your life. The thing is, though, because of God's unconditional, unexplainable, indescribable and all-consuming love, he's shown us mercy. By not giving us what we deserve, the wages of sin, death, he has given us a new birth. And what is this new birth? Well, from where we were once distant from God, strangers might be, on a path to destruction through sin, he gives us a chance to be reconciled to him and born again. All evil in the world stems from our sin and all good flows from his mercy. We owe all we have to what he did for us in giving us the opportunity to be born again and reconciled to him. So what exactly does that mean? I I, I think of a story where Jesus is talking with Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee and, and he's sharing with him about how you need to be born again. You need to be born of, of flesh but also of spirit and you need to be baptized of water and of spirit. And so the Greek where Jesus says born again also means to be born from above. So basically born of the spirit. See, his spirit becomes active in us when we allow his mercy to wash over us and give us a new birth into a living hope. It's not a dead, never-present hope, but a living hope. Church, Jesus is alive. He rose again, so our hope is a living hope. And this means we are people and vessels of that living hope. We can speak life into situations that trouble us. When the enemy is attacking, we speak life into that confrontation. And as Jesus said to Nicodemus, we cannot see where the Spirit comes from, but we can sure feel it. 
And that is our source of comfort and hope. And that word hope in the scriptures doesn't mean what it typically means in society. You know, when people throw that word around, it's a bit of wishful thinking. You know, I hope I pass this test. I hope it doesn't rain today. There's probably not much chance of that happening, even if I want it to rain. Um, But what hope typically means in the scriptures is that it's a confident expectation. So through God's mercy, we are born again through the confident expectation of the results of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Amen? See, this truth took me a while to understand that I could be confident in what Jesus did and that that confidence, faith, allowed me to be born again with a new purpose and a new hope. Do you believe that for yourself? See, for me, understanding this truth was one of the most important things in my spiritual walk. It allowed me to let go of past bitterness and hurt, to forgive myself and to forgive others, and to see the positives in myself and in life. I had to be broken down in order for God's mercy and grace to put me back together. And I love that no matter what we do, no matter our past, no matter the shame we carry, we are covered by God's grace. And I love that the power of grace endures. So I want to read a, a couple of verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And you guys have probably all heard this a lot. So I'm reading from verse 7 to 10. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, we so often get caught up in the world that we start to solely focus on our weaknesses and the negative things in our life and the negative things that people speak over us. And these become our identity. It's where we operate from. We focus on why we can't do things, on why we aren't worthy, and we typically forget that we aren't the only ones with weaknesses. And that's the big problem I see with social media. You know, I, my job is at, at church is communication, so I'm on social media pretty much all day. And I hear young people and, and older people, they're always coming in and making comments about, oh, you know, I saw my friend, they were on holiday here or they had this amazing meal on a plate. And the thing that we tend to forget is that these are just highlights for people. They're just the good things. And we can celebrate the good things, but we, you know, we, we perceive someone else's life as being better based upon one photo or one status. You know, it's just a flash in the pan of a good thing that happened in someone's day or week. But we need to be done with comparison, church. See, someone else's journey will always be different 
to our journey. You know, M will have a different journey to Forbo, who will have a different journey to Andrea, who will have a different journey to me, and there's no point comparing. We're all on our path and all given a unique measure of grace from God to walk that path and to do that journey. We are given this grace for a particular purpose, and there is no journey more valuable or better than anybody else's. And we need to be encouraged by this church. You know, as evidenced in the passage with Paul, we see that human weakness provides the ideal opportunity for a display of divine power. We sometimes need this reminder that our flesh is weak even if our spirit is willing. And this is a hard truth to to accept sometimes. You know, we're always taught that the person you should trust the most is yourself. Don't rely on others. Go out there and do the job yourself. We don't want to relinquish control and often don't want to let others help us. And that includes God sometimes. But the thing is, without God's grace, which stems from his unfailing love for people, we are weak. And true strength comes from being surrendered to obedience and allowing God's grace to move in our life. You know, we cannot achieve the things we want to if we are focused on our weaknesses. We can't allow them to consume us. The thing that we need to focus on, which is the ultimate power on this earth, and that is grace because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. You know, being partnered with God and covered by his grace, who are we to deny him an opportunity to show up and to show off with what he wants to do? Why deny an opportunity to boast in him? You know, when we are weak, then we are strong. I want to ask, if God said to you, my grace is sufficient for you, and he left it at that, there was no blessing, no taking away of weakness or inconvenience, no deliverance. You know, you turn up to church, there's no words on the screen, you have to try and remember what they are, you wonder if the Holy Spirit's going to show up. You know, if that happened, if it was just the power of the cross and our forgiveness, would we boast in that? Would that be enough? You know, if we want to experience all life has to offer, we need to be prepared to forego our pride and accept grace. And it's a gift. You know, church, we need to understand that What we need to understand is that God paid the ultimate price for us. He sacrificed his only son to the contempt and evil intentions of man to be whipped, spat on, mocked, beaten, and nailed to a piece of wood all so that he could get our attention and so that we would understand his love. How amazing is that? How amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's pretty much my favorite all-time lyric. For I was a wretch and God got my attention and through his grace, He has given me a new birth, a living hope and a grace that sustains. And he does that for everyone. And we need to allow this to become our identity. Ashes, can you please begin to distribute the communion emblems? 
And so I want to I read you a poem. I wrote this back at the start of 2009. I hadn't even been a Christian for, for a year. So um, it was for a, an outreach activity we did at uni ministry. And the title of this is, is Darkness Versus Light. And essentially, this is my testimony in the form of poetry and symbolism. So as I'm reading, I I want you to think through what God's grace has done for you and how it's worked in your life. Don't focus on the negatives or the weaknesses or the things that are pulling you down at the moment. Focus on him. From the moment we are born to the moment that we pass, there is an epic struggle for control over our soul. There is darkness that is now or light that will last. And all that darkness does is leave one black like coal, whereas light is like a beacon, bright and very vast. How do I know this, you all may ask? Well, quite simply, I have loved them both. To walk away from darkness is a choice we all must make. For the touch of darkness is alluring, laying all other sensations to waste. For the taste of darkness is intoxicating, the sweetest thing to touch the tongue. For the emotion of darkness is sensual, the heart's soul desire. See, I love the darkness. I love just how good a quick fix felt. But what I now must say comes from my own learnings. Darkness can be comforting and make one feel amazing. Last, however, it will not. For darkness is simply temporary, filling a lifelong void. And for the deeds of darkness are evil, and death is the result. As I dwell today... On my love of the darkness, I feel sick to my core, knowing how I let my life be destroyed by darkness lust. I had no hope. The pain was raw and it was deep. In one moment, I had lost all I'd ever loved. All I'd ever lived for had been laid bare. Cast into shadow, my life had become. I'd been consumed by darkness's foul embrace. Forsaking all I knew, I wanted it to end. And doing all I could to forsake my yearnings, needing most a saviour, I thought I had conquered the invisible so-called God. But somehow, the light found me. You see, into the world the light has come, a living sacrifice for all to share, beaten, broken, shattered, silent. Yet light won the war. I fought and I fought and I fought. I didn't want to lose my freedom, my independence, or my strength by accepting light's offer. If I did accept, I had no control. See, doing things my way felt so much better. Yet the more I fought, the closer the light drew me. The more I was dead to move away, the less I could resist. And so transfixed I stood. To give in would show childlike dependence. To keep fighting would show complete foolishness. In the end, there could be nothing but acceptance. I could see where I was wrong, but letting go was and still is painful. To abandon the touch of darkness is hard. To abandon the taste of darkness is excruciating. To abandon the emotion of darkness was almost death to me. But the light has set me free, has made me a rebel with a cause. It has been many things that darkness can scarcely imagine. Most importantly though, Light suffered and died for me, freeing me from the chains of darkness. Rising again, the light has brought hope, 
hope that one day darkness would be destroyed. For the touch of light is soothing, replenishing the soul. For the taste of light is guiding, revealing the path to be. For the emotion of light is spiritual, it lasts beyond this life. For the touch of light is redemption, bringing peace to a broken soul. For the taste of light is reconciliation, cleansing the tongue from darkness's taint. For the emotion of light is salvation, purifying darkened hearts. And so battle lines are drawn, darkness versus light. One will win, one will lose. Darkness is condemned and Jesus, the light, is glorified. It is our choices that define who we are. So to all I ask, which side do you choose? You see, that's my story of grace. When I and when we rebel against God, he could quite easily abandon us and leave us to face the consequences of our actions. But he doesn't. He reaches out to us in love. And because he loves us, he gave us a second chance. He showed us mercy and he rained down his grace upon us. You know, but being sinful by nature, we are destined to death and separation from God. But that's not what he wants. So he sent his son to die, to be humiliated, to be destroyed and broken for us. He didn't deserve it. We did. Through this one act, God gave us mercy and grace. Not giving us death, but giving us life and a hope of something so much better. You know, through the sacrifice that Jesus made, where he died now places as a substitute, he has given us life. And when he rose, he conquered death and now reigns over death. And our hope comes from the sacrifice he made. Our new birth comes from faith in Jesus and the acceptance of the mercy and grace shown to us as sinners. And our hope, as well as the redemption given us through his resurrection, leads us into our purpose and our inheritance, being seated with Jesus in God's kingdom. Amen? You know, God's power is made perfect in weakness. You know, let us accept the gift given us and surrender all to him. When we are weak, by God's grace, we are strong. This is the greatest truth I've ever learned, that when we are vulnerable and totally allow his grace to enter every area of our lives, that is when he is strongest in us. And as we share communion together this morning, let's draw a line in the sand and make this a regular thing where we let God's grace come into our lives. See, the scriptures do not tell us to celebrate the birth of Christ, but rather his death, and not just once a year at Easter, but every time we meet together. So let's celebrate the events that brought us a new birth into a living hope together today, and let us do that regularly. So the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together.